radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Today is Bob Schatz. Bob is a true Agile veteran. He is one of the first, if not the first, certified Scrum trainer um, out there. He's home to Pennsylvania and he has a company called Agile Infusion, that is also the domain name. Bob gave a talk um, and that talk was called Creating Magic with Customer Engagement. And that topic um, was uh, intriguing because um, we thought maybe we run an episode entirely dedicated sprint review where we're closing the feedback loop and we're just going to talk about things people do wrong in uh, sprint reviews and how this meeting could be improved um, for project success welcome to the podcast bob and what do people do wrong uh in sprint review well i think the uh you know the original intent with sprint reviews uh was getting feedback and you know feedback is a critical part in building agility in organizations because what you're trying to do as you're building out a product is figure out, you know, along the way, uh, if it's satisfying the intended needs of users, you know, if it's solving a problem. Mm-hmm. And so we go into a problem-solving process with a set of assumptions. Some of them are informed by users or at least our perception of uh, who the user might be and what they have as a problem. And... Uh, often we carry those assumptions and then start making, we fill in gaps with our own sort of thinking. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the sprint review was for a feedback mechanism on the product. And so when you think about, you know, the fact that you need to get feedback, the first thing we did was increase the frequency. So uh, in our traditional approaches, like the waterfall method, you know, our typical feedback cycle was at the end. And uh, for most of us, we remember that as an unpleasant experience because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> most, mostly at what you figured out after pouring your heart and soul into something is that what you just developed was something that the user didn't want. And, you know, whether it was, you know, a miss, it was, you know, basically an interpretation of requirements and, you know, mm-hmm. going into design and coding and testing and, you know, just assuming that you thought you knew. Uh, so there would be a lot of rework at the end of a waterfall project to actually try to incorporate what was actually intended and you're, you know, but then again, you're using the same process to produce the new version, which created the old version. So uh, it's sort of like a, like a self-filling model where it just, you know, keeps getting worse. Uh, So one of the uh, big things we tried to do with these agile practices was incorporate something we had learned a lot during .com was uh, how you engage customers in this process to make sure that as you're going along, you're checking those assumptions with end users and also the added complication that we have today, which is the outside environment <clears throat> in which those users operate, um, that's changing as well. So you have technology changes and you know mm-hmm. economic changes and political changes and you know different uh, policies, procedures, right. uh, markets that these users are operating in. And so the, the, you're you're going after a much faster target, mm-hmm. a, a faster moving target. So the idea of the sprint review is to get feedback as that's going, learn more about the user, and make sure you're tailoring what you're producing uh, to actually solve a fast-moving problem. And so when you think about that, you think, well, what would be the best way to get feedback? Obviously, increasing the frequency is good, 
But then you think the secondary thing is who are you getting feedback from? And so, you know, common sense would tell you that the feedback we probably should be getting should be from the people who are going to use it <laughs> and direct involvement with the user <clears throat> to get that. But for some reason, uh, we tend to uh, shy away from that. And that's what I, that I see as the biggest problem in sprint reviews is people are having them to sort of check the box and be compliant with, you know, Agile or Scrum or, you know, whatever version they're using. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, when you ask, well, you're having a sprint review, but oh, is there a customer in there? Is there a user in there? And, and, and you get a puzzled look like, wait, why would they be there? Well, if you're looking at it yourself and you just created it, what's the feedback? Right. Like whoever looks at something they created and says, oh, this is garbage, you know, we're going to throw this away. I mean, it, that's pretty rare. You're going to, you because of confirmation bias, you're going to look at something you created and just say, oh, this is amazing. You know, right. this is great stuff. Um, so, again, what happens is you could be running really great sprints and then going through all the, you know, <clears throat> ceremonies and making sure you're doing everything. And even in the best case, get much faster at doing that. But you're going faster in the wrong direction, which mm. – is probably more dangerous than not doing anything, like right. going backwards, you know. So that's that's what I've seen as is a big issue. Well, some some teams and uh, including myself, uh, I call this thing sometimes casually the 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 demo, right? So you call this yeah. uh, instead of sprint review. But yeah. if you really look at the word sprint review, it's much deeper than uh, a demo. How would you like to see a sprint review being executed, like comparatively to to demos, like yeah. You know, demo is, is very common. People are like, you know, demoing back to the product owner and, uh, and yep. getting some form of feedback and then they walk away from the meeting. But they lost a lot by doing exactly that. What do yeah. You, yeah. What do you think could be done better here? Well, I think, you know, the, the term demo is, you know, often associated with product demonstrations, which I always think of like infomercials, right, where somebody's doing something and they're pushing it at you, you know, like, look at mm -hmm. this, look at this. And, but wait, um, there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more, right? New and improved. You know, like, oh, what do you see this? Uh, so to me, a demo is always – and, you know, I can remember back in my days, you know, working in the Department of Defense and, and the demos we used to do as I worked for a contractor, General Electric. And the demos were always like big pushes. Like we were just you – know, we used to call them the dog and pony show mm -hmm. because you'd stand up there and like pretend that everything was good and you'd push, push, push. But – never really have a conversation about what was happening. And that's always been my fear is not to, to create that because it was, you never learned anything. Mm -hmm. So the, the way that these things, and I think that was one of the big reasons that the idea of calling it a sprint review instead of a demo uh, was done specifically for that purpose. But you see that a lot of people will drop back to the word demo. And so it's sort of going backwards. And so uh, to me, the way I see it, is you have people there. You have the people that developed it, the scrum teams. You have the product owner. You have uh, executives, stakeholders, other groups in the company. But all those people are there in support of a customer who's – that's the main people that should be there is an end-user consumer of what you're creating. Mm -hmm. And that person should be outside of that environment because they have uh, an objective view of it. Uh, they have choices. They have power of where they spend their money or what they go to your product or somebody else's product. And that really is the feedback you're trying to get. And then when you bring those people in, you are really showing off not just 
what you created, but who you are. Mm -hmm. And this is your opportunity to, to build trust with users to say, we're here to make your job or your life easier. This isn't about us. It's about you. Mm -hmm. And it, you get a chance to show them what this is about, that you're there to serve their needs. They're not there to serve your needs. Right. So one typical thing I hear out there is um, occasionally some teams, especially for the ones co-located, right? So when the, the yeah. whole team is in, in one room, and you come to sprint review by the end of the sprint, um, you hear things like, well, everybody has seen this stuff already. Why are we doing this? Like the right. product owner has already looked at the, uh, at the features and uh, they know exactly what's going on on a day in and day out basis. Uh, very often they, uh, they all participate in a daily scrum, which is great. So they're coming to the, to the end of a sprint review and, and uh, they feel like this meeting is just a, a formality. Yeah, well, it's, you just called it out right there. The, the, the thrust of what you were just saying is about the team demonstrating to the product owner who's already been involved. But that's a still inside view of the world. Mm -hmm. And so where's the outside view? Where's the actual end user? So the product owner role was built to be a representative of the end user, but not to substitute as the end user for feedback. All right. Right, so there's a difference. So really, what you're trying to show in a sprint review is this product owner owning the product is presenting the context of where we're at, and the team working with the end users to show what they've created, and that helps the and then using the users as a sort of collaboration there, which is customer collaboration. It was part of the Agile Manifesto mm -hmm. um, to actually collaborate with the customers to decide what to do next that's going to create value. And what was done in that sprint is that valuable. Mm -hmm. And so we can sort of, we can tune our assumptions about what is good and not so good for the user. And so when you just focus on the product owner, you're getting a single uh, uh, sort of like, it's already to like sort of a jaded view of the world because it's still within the system. It's not outside and looking at the bigger picture, and right. that's that's really the big difference there. There's still there's still a um, an area between the product owner and the stakeholders or customers or whoever you, they're talking to, right? There's still an, an, an a possible source of error. Oh, sure, right? and and, 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 and if be. you even go yeah. past that, you say product owner, customer, and the customer may not be the end user. It might just be the person who's paying for it, right? Mm -hmm. Or the management of the people that are users. So if you looked at like a, uh, if you were doing like a, like an example, a call center software, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the end user is the person that's on the phone with, with their customer. And, you know, so when you have a sprint review, let's say we're doing call center software, you might see the manager of that department show up to give feedback. But that manager is not the end user. Yeah. You know, they may be getting a report or something like that, but if your reports are about call times and you're doing something in that software to actually increase call times, mm -hmm. that would that would be something that the end users would really pick up on. Yeah. But the manager might not. So you might you could actually deploy software that was meant to do one thing and actually did the complete opposite. Right. This is fascinating because um, you you could say the manager of the calls and it might have been a um, somebody on the phone years ago, right? Yeah. That has uh, received a promotion. It still feels like I know everything about call centers. Of center. course, and, right. Uh, but unfortunately, the, the knowledge has outdated by I don't know how many years. So it's, uh, it's true. Go to the source here. What does the Agile Manifesto, you just mentioned it, teach us about all that? 
Yeah, it says, well, I mean, the first thing is in the on the main part of the manifesto, it says customer collaboration over contract negotiation, which in the, in the case of contract negotiation, the, the meaning of that was you know, the whole concept of meeting requirements as if, you know, checking all the boxes was, you know, the uh, success criteria where the Agile Manifesto would say, no, you, the requirements are interesting, but you have to collaborate with customers because especially when the world starts changing faster, which we're obviously in now, um, you need to stay on top of uh, what they're actually experiencing and you have to check your assumptions constantly um, against the new world. And that's why it becomes increasingly more important Mm -hmm. uh, today than even when the manifesto was created in 2001. Yeah. So, uh, that's, you know, that was 16 years ago. And if you look at what's happened in 16 years in terms of users and the focus on the user and end user consumer experience, mm -hmm. uh, that Big is, you know, yeah. yeah, that has gone up incredibly high. And so now if you're not focused on those users, you're always going to be missing. And if you're using good agile practices and not engaging the user, then you're just going to be missing a lot faster. That's what yeah. I was getting to. <laughs> so um, project success as a whole, right? So we, you mentioned earlier there was this, this grand scheme project in waterfall style. Now we're back to this uh, agile. We're doing a sprint-based uh, delivery. Um, project success on these both things are significantly different. How does the sprint review uh, in, in, in customer engagement as a whole fit into that and what's what's different now uh, well I, I mean if you think about customer success i mean before project success meant uh you know we delivered on time we were you know on budget or under budget and we met all the requirements and that, that was how people used to look at a project uh, which was always weird to me because first of all you know delivering on time and on budget is interesting but what did you deliver is probably more interesting. Like anybody can hit a project on a date and under a budget, but if you delivered the wrong thing, is that a success? Uh, and you can say, well, we met the requirements. Okay, well, if the requirements actually made the user happy, then yeah, that would be a, a good success. But if the requirements aren't making the user happy and then the environment's changing as well, then was that a success? Like you mm. delivered on time on budget and met all the requirements, but the user didn't get their problem solved then there's no success there. So my term, my view of success, and I think this is you know sort of the, I guess the newer thinking, which is is more you know looking at the outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, I always help my clients set up projects so that we're always looking at post-release metrics of success. Like in other words, don't tell me what you're going to achieve inside. Tell me what once the user gets that it's in the hands of the user what they're going to achieve as a result. What are the benefits that they're going to derive from doing this? And let's try to think about that before we start. And that way we're geared towards their success instead of just our success. If you make your customers successful, then you're going to be successful. So mm -hmm. I think the alignment towards the user, not just the experience, but getting the benefits out of it, whether it's you know a business benefit of making money uh, for the customer, like th them making their customers happy and making money or saving time or saving money. Uh, those are things that, you know, or, or improving their customer satisfaction. So like I try to align my customers with like, you need to focus on your customer's success. Like that should be your primary thing. If you right. can do that, then you're going to be more successful. But um, so I think that's, that's the game. It's not just, uh, just about 
uh, time and money. It, obviously, that's always going to be a, uh, something we have to worry about. And certainly making sure that we are getting the right things in the hands of the user, which is what these sprint reviews are meant to do, is to constantly tune and make sure that as you're going from sprint to sprint, you're navigating the waters mm -hmm. of what's going to create success for those users. Right, and there's, there's definitely like a project charter or something out there where people say there's a reason why this project was funded in the first place. And, yes. uh, and that is probably a good starting point. Do you think, um, I mean, I'm just going to make an assumption. A lot of people listening to, to this episode here right now, they're, and they're doing Agile, doing Scrum, let's say, um, they're probably thinking right now, I don't have a customer in my sprint review. Right. You know, honestly, I think uh, I think this is a common scenario, right? And uh, is there anything an agile team can do to change that? Is that a team? Do you think a team should demand customers in in this thing? Should you think uh, they should be going out more? Should they? Uh, do they? Uh, do, does the behavior of the team has to change to accommodate for that? And yeah. when I say the team, I don't mean necessarily only the development team. It could be the entire uh, product owner included, Scrum master. Yeah. Included. I think it goes even higher because, uh, you know, I think, first of all, you know, to the basic question, what can they do? Um, I think the first thing is you can ask the product owner, right? You say to the product owner, look, uh, you know, we're putting a lot of money and a lot of time and our, we're putting our souls into this, which uh, most good software people, when they go into something, they put everything they have into it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can express, you know, the fact that you don't feel like we're getting the right level of feedback that maybe... You know, because of the past things we've put out that didn't quite hit the mark and cost us a lot of time and money to fix, that maybe it'd be a good idea to have somebody from the outside come in and take a look at this and do it on a regular basis. As you know, if we're going to decide we're going to use these agile practices, then that's a core tenet of the agile practices. So, you know, right there, we know we have a disconnect. And so I would think the first thing would be just ask. And, you know, you never know you're going to have something until you ask for it. And uh, so I think you should do that. And, and if that doesn't work, um, I would, you know, talk to – if you have a scrum master, then talk to a scrum master. If that doesn't work, uh, raise an obstacle. Like right. this, this is why we have impediments and obstacles in these practices is to help identify when something is blocking you from doing the right thing. And this would be a clear obstacle. Uh, also, it goes all the way – like I said, all the way back up to leadership. Like when you look above – uh, you look at the management, you look at the executives, the C-level executives, the CEO. Um, uh, you know, a lot of them are not tuned into the users and think that, you know, oh, I know this. And, you know, so there's a lot of assumptions being made. Um, but, you know, like, I, like I, when I coach a lot of executive teams, like there's nothing in the office to remind people who we work for. There's no pictures. There's no videos playing. There's, there's no evidence of the people that we serve every day. And that's, that's unfortunate. Mm. And how many executives have gone to a user location and seen them? Why not go out and take a, a video crew and at least capture, you know, some environmental pictures and, and video of people using a, a, a solution or have them do a couple little interviews, like, you know, spend a, a, a sort of day in the life of the user um, or, or arrange for you know users to come in for sprint reviews. They're, they're coming in for a lot of other things. Why not sprint reviews? Mm -hmm. And certainly, um, you know, utilizing user groups and things like that. There's there's a lot of different places to make it happen. Um, you have to look for the possibilities. If you just throw your arms up and say, "Well, we can't do it," 
um, or just make excuses. We're not allowed to do it. I've heard mm -hmm. that one quite a bit. Um, you know, this is people making decisions because they are, this is a profession. They are using their professional skills to build a product. And they know in their heart that they're probably building the wrong product. Mm. And so, you know, as a professional, you have to say something about that. You, you can't just sit back and say, of well, course. Yeah. you know, I'm just going to let this happen to me. And, <laughs> you know, 30 years after, you know, I've been doing this, maybe I'll catch on. I mean, it, the, today's world, you got to say something. It's, right. You know, it's, 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 it's hard sometimes. And I know everybody's got their own uh, sort of risk threshold but right. you're not asking for the universe you're asking you know we should probably get some feedback on a product that we're creating which by the way as consumers outside of software like if you buy a washing machine or you go to amazon or mm -hmm. you know anywhere really i mean try to find a retailer that doesn't focus on customer experience and get feedback constantly right constantly. directly Absolutely. directly from the consumer so i i find it interesting that sometimes we create things Yet we, and, and we're consumers, obviously, in the world, and we appreciate being asked our opinion about a product or a service or a store, but when we go to work, for some reason, we don't do it ourselves. Yeah. Well, I, I have a story um, for you. There was a, by, by accident, I uh, was attending a sprint review. I was not really working with this team whatsoever uh, before, and I had no idea, but I was on the floor and with a client, and I was pulled into the sprint review. And I did not know anything about this product nor the team. And uh, it was an extremely uh, disengaged meeting, this print review meeting. And um, at one point, I, I had to ask this group. I said, like, I don't even, I couldn't even tell right now in the room who is the product owner. And, uh, and they said, the product owner is not here. Mm. And I said, why is the product owner not here? And, uh, well, for whatever scheduling reasons, uh, it wouldn't work. And it's like, have, is this the, I asked them, is this the first time? you're actually seeing uh, the product. And they said, oh, no, we have seen this many, many times. So why are we here, right? So this is, goes to checking the boxes. Do you have, <laughs> I found that quite an, uh, a crazy sprint review. Uh, to be it's, totally yeah, it seems insane when you, like, you're asking. It's like, what is going on what here? What is going on here, right? Yeah. And I was like, basically <laughs> with that team for a minute, right? And, but just everybody just goes through this uh, thing. So totally misunderstood meeting here. Do you have any kind of similar crazy stories from, from your uh, work environment where you feel like, without obviously uh, 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 specifying the, the company's name here. But <laughs> do you have anything to share what, what could go wrong in a, in a sprint review after my story? I mean, I'm just, Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I just have, an, I have one that's coming to my mind just because I just heard about it. So uh, this is an interesting story because uh, my son is a newly uh, minted scrum master, which mm -hmm. I'm very proud of him. But uh, so, you know, we're now in second generation. Um, and, um, so he's, you know, he's obviously, I've, you know, I've tried to teach him as much as I could over the years, but he's still a young kid. He, you know, just graduated, uh, his MBA and, um, he went in as a, a test engineer. Now he's, you know, the, he, they wanted him to be a scrum master. He just has a natural ability to do it. Uh, so he was in his first sprint review and, you know, you know, this is his first time on, on the ground actually doing this, but he said it was so boring because, um, there was a couple people on a WebEx, like, you know, customers, there was one, there were two people there physically cause they haven't been in a training session and they stopped by for the sprint review. And he said, it, the people that were presenting it, and I think the product owner was presenting it, it was so boring and they were bored. And then, so the one customer was like on his mobile device, just, you mm -hmm. know, checking email, I'm sure because he was bored. 
And the other one, he said, was falling asleep, like like going out. <laughs> and he said, and there was another person like on the team that was there, and they were falling asleep because everybody was just like it was like the same thing, just going through the motions. But everybody was like completely out, like it was almost like there was like a like a you know mm-hmm. uh, like a sleeping gas that was being pumped in, and they were all going to sleep. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not good. That's like you know, and it's just. You know, again, I've always tried to tell people when you're running a sprint review, you're showing not only your product, but you're showing yourself. And if you can't engage your customers in a little session to get feedback on some small things that you created in that sprint, then what does that tell about your product, you, your interest, your engagement? That's right. And how your customers feel about it. And so you're just not there. You're not getting it. And so, you know, I'm trying to train him now. Like, look, you need the, you're the scrum master. If the, you know, you got to get the team to set the tone. You're not just putting on a show here, what we call a dog. And I had to tell him what a dog and pony show was, but, uh, you know, like you, you're creating an experience for users. You're letting them know, here's who we are. And this is what we care about, you know, and and if you don't show that, then they're not going to show it. Mm. And so I think that's always interesting. And I have one other thing that was interesting. Uh, I was working with this company that uh, built guitar amplifiers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know much about amplifiers, but, uh, you know, they wanted to use Scrum for their product development. And they uh, were all in this company, all really geeky guitar players. They know everything about music and and all kinds of you know geeky stuff with electronics and right. and creating things amplifiers, but uh, because of that knowledge and their experience, they weren't having uh, consumers in their sprint reviews, which is you know with live equipment, mm-hmm. and um, so I had to actually get them to uh, to understand that first, and then we had them set up uh, every other Saturday. They were having their sprint reviews, and what they were having was jam sessions. So oh, I had them nice. get like. Kids in there, like uh, like teenage musicians, like from high school or whatever, uh, some older, you know, maybe semi-professional, and then get some professional musicians. Like get them all together and bring them in every other Saturday, have a jam session because everybody likes that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, maybe you can raffle off some older equipment that, you know, you guys have hanging around here that you're not selling. You know, why don't you just auction it off so that they can get some free stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really turned – the way they looked at their own product. I was like, you guys are looking at the inside of the box. You're all tied up in the electronics and, you know, all the sound patterns and all that stuff, but you're not looking at it from a consumer perspective, right? There's other brands out there and you're not the top brand. So why would somebody buy somebody else's product instead of yours? What are the decision-making points? Who's the decision-maker and why, what are they making the decision based on? Mm -hmm. And so you need to understand that because just building a product that you like is great, but if nobody buys it because it doesn't do one thing that the other brand does, then so what? You so all what, you did yeah. was build a box for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and you don't have to buy it; you get it for free. So where's the money coming in? <laughs> you know, so it really opened their eyes to the fact that there, there's an outside world there. Yeah, and I think when you when you take a look at the outside world and you hear the people that are not um, sort of getting the product for free, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you hear very different feedback, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I think just figuring out a way to engage your customers in something that's exciting for them, and yeah. and considering the sprint review an event where you're hosting customers like a party in your house, and think about you know do you want to bore everybody and have them run away, 
or do you want them to have a great time and want to come back? Right. No, ex- excellent example, um, um, Bob. What I mentioned in the beginning was uh, you are actually enrolled right now in a doctorate program. You're pretty much at the end of it, right? Um, does this topic we have discussed here for the past like 20 minutes or so, does that somehow relate, relate to this? Is, this might be a yes, no answer or maybe a little bit more than that, but does that relate? Is that, is that part of your research right now? Well, the, uh, I, first of all, I'd like to say I was like to say I'm close to the end, but I'm not sure what the end is. Like I got to the point where all my classes are finished <laughs> and now I'm starting my dissertation process. So mm-hmm. I think I may, I thought I was near the end. Now I'm starting to realize that I'm just at a plateau, like the, uh, the 50% of, mark. when you're climbing, yeah, you're climbing, <laughs> you know, Mount Everest and you just hit a, uh, you know, base camp. Yeah. And I think that's like, oh, I hit the base camp, but I was like, oh no, look up. Uh, so it's still a little bit of a climb, but, um, uh, but I'm excited about doing that. Now, the, the, uh, what I've been focusing on is uh, change agents, uh, mm-hmm. not so much uh, you know, customer engagement, but just change agents in general, um, you know, people that lead radical changes in organizations and mm-hmm. uh, how they make decisions to do something like that and what are the sort of impacts uh, to their careers mm-hmm. as a result of doing that. And uh, so I've obviously seen a lot of case studies, including my own. And um, it's a very interesting dynamic that uh, hasn't been written about a lot. People will write about change models and change leadership, and uh, you know, there's all kinds of things you can follow and assessments of what kind of leader you are and that kind of thing. But uh, you know, when it comes down to actually like facing the decision point of do I do a radical change, which I'm not talking about something that other people have already done. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about something that very few people in the world have done, and you're about to do it. Uh, how do you make that decision? You know, what do you have to sort of think mentally, like in terms of you know your own uh, survival, basically. Right. And then, uh, how does the organization sort of react to that, uh, both in the short term and the long term? Uh, because I think uh, most people, probably listening to this, that have ever been involved in a radical change, which uh, agile practices early on, let's say in the first, uh, I'd say from anywhere from like you know the mid '90s to the uh, to mm-hmm. 2004 or five, you know, before it started really picking up, um, at, at that time, that that would be considered a radical change. And um, I think you'll find a lot of people who have been through that are probably wound up at some other place after that, or becoming a coach or a trainer. Yeah. Uh, because basically, the system is built, and most consultants that are in uh, organizations will probably resonate with this as well. But you know, you're you're there to be the outsider, but really, that system can't handle you all the time. It would yeah. be you know, a terminal relationship. Uh, and that's, I, I've sort of built my consultancy based on that, that I already know it's a terminal relationship. And my job is to get there faster by having them be self-sufficient. Right. Well, so, maybe, well, maybe we make this the teaser for the next podcast, right? Uh, make yes. the topic for the next podcast. Yeah, that uh, would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's another great thing to talk well, about. Yeah. Well, Bob, so, Bob, I want to really thank you here for your time. And I also want to just just highlight the fact here we dedicated this entire podcast here uh, episode to to sprint review and i you know i really hope that with your tips and tricks here and uh, different thinking uh, most importantly of how this meeting could be organized and uh, held uh, a lot of people get much much better products out there yeah i'll tell you it's a great feeling when you're in front of users and you know even if they don't like something at least you're finding it out and most of the time when you're involved like that they wind up giving you the right advice and you build a great product and there's nothing better in the world to develop a product that people love. Yeah.
What a great sentence to the end of this podcast. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, Joe. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon. Thank you.